So let's talk about Steve Jobs. There's a, a snippet from an interview that Steve Jobs gave years ago where he talks about the biggest mistake that he made. And, you know, 20 years later, I think it still rings really true. In the, you know, just to kind of set a little bit of context here, in the 90s, Apple wasn't doing very well, right? Like the uh, PC had far outpaced them. They weren't selling the units that they wanted to. And they were, you know, they got to the point where they were on the verge of, of bankruptcy. And actually, Microsoft bailed them out, right? Like this is the, the time frame that we're talking about. And Steve Jobs, still pretty young, was the CEO of Apple. And, um, you know, I don't know all the details, right? The, this is almost ancient history now. But the board of directors wanted somebody more professional to be the CEO, to level up the company, to take them to the next level, somebody that, you know, had experience growing brands, that sort of thing. And so Steve Jobs went out and recruited, he, he had identified a couple of people, but he recruited the then president or CEO, excuse me, of PepsiCo, of you know, Pepsi okay. Cola. Yeah. And, um, you know, and he had to persuade this guy. Like, he had to go and see him a few times and persuade him. There's actually lots of stories of Steve Jobs doing that in his career. Um, and brought him on. And a couple years later, the CEO of PepsiCo that he hired to be the CEO of Apple ended up being the guy that fired Steve Jobs. <laughs> right? Steve Jobs then went and formed two companies next. And then what became Pixar? Oh, wow. Okay. Right? That Disney yep. And the next became, parts of it were what became the iPods operating system and then the iPhones operating system. Like a lot of the, the birth of um, the mobile first operating system with touch support and all that came from Steve Jobs' company at that time. But reflecting on, on this time and his biggest mistake, which was, which was hiring this guy, um, Steve Jobs talked about how people ascend, how people rise inside of a company. And he said inside of a company like PepsiCo, where they only change their product in small ways every three, four, five years, whatever it is, um, that the people that rise to the top are the ones that perform really well in that environment, right? So the salespeople, mm -hmm. the optimizers, the CFOs that are able to drive costs down, or the salespeople that are able to add to the top line of the revenue. And that's fine, right? Like that, that's fine. Um, but in a product company, a company, especially in tech, that has to make something that people want every year or two or three um, and can't rely on the same old sort of tactics, right? That, that their economics are different. Um, Steve Jobs kind of posited that it's better to have product people at the top of those companies, people that are closer to the customer, and closer to um, closer to the product can you know really take those customer preferences and inject them into product and you know his example of when he came back to Apple kind of proves that out right yeah, like he absolutely. hyper focused the yeah. whole company on on just making products that people really wanted to use and learning from that and improving them and improving them obviously the rest is history you know in, in my little slice of the world you know, you see similar things, right? Like you see the people that are running some companies that are, same thing, the optimizers or the top salespeople, 
again, in a lot of cases, that's fine. Um, but when you, when you zoom out a little bit and you see the dynamics and economics changing, you know, it's on the leaders to recognize maybe instead of having the salespeople let this hop for a little bit, maybe we need to have some people look at our product set or yep. our environment. Yep. And it's just a, a learning that I'm trying to take with me into the future and want to kind of spread that message a little bit. It's interesting, the people that, if you're a creator of something, you're very intimate with that product, right? Or, or mm-hmm. it, So it makes sense to me as you're explaining it that if it's a salesperson, they have to learn it from a different perspective. And then it, the, the, the ripple effect of that, the waves of that for that person, um, they're not as fresh with it from the core. I don't know if I'm explaining that correctly, but it, it makes a lot yeah. of sense that the person developing the product has intimate knowledge of it, and thus they can drive forward and they're closer to the customer. They can make those changes easily. I mean, the way I look at it is if you make something that a lot of people... Like, how many Apple salespeople have come to you and tried to sell you an iPhone? Zero. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, if you make something that people Simple really want Nike, or need... Right? I've never been sold a Nike shoe, but I've been sold a lot of Nike shoes, yeah. you know. And Tinker, the guy that made Air Jordans with Michael Jordan, he was a product person. He was a designer. Yep. Right? He was, he was one of the people that helped Nike ascend to... Um, highest levels in the world in the 80s. So we can... Well, the, the, expanding on that just a little more, because I'm trying to articulate it as I see it in my mind. I see it clearer than I can explain, I think. But the, the key thing here that pulls off of one of the other principles that we mentioned before is that meet, meet your customers where they are, right? Like get closer to your customers. And I, going back to the whole product engineer perspective and starting from there... You're not selling at that point. It's just, it, it comes off differently to the consumer. You're really just meeting a need. And, and sometimes being sold something doesn't feel right. Like it would feel really awkward if Apple started to sell me things mm-hmm. and really try to do that. It would be a pretty awkward thing knowing how we've been interacting with them for many, many years. So it's just different directions. Two, two ends of the spectrum, I should say. And there's a time for one and a time for another. Yeah, there's this thinking about, you know, customer-driven product design. Mm-hmm. It's... I know it's been around for a long time. I think we've talked about once before about the the P and G, the Procter and Gamble example of that. But but it's something that's super popular in, in Silicon Valley, that you put out a minimum viable product, you start to measure what pieces of it people are liking and and not. Right, you can do this in lots of different ways. Um, what are people clicking on? Where What are they spending more time on? What feedback are we getting from them? It's not necessarily surveys. Mm-hmm. It's observing people's behavior yep. and then kind of following that and putting that back into your products. I think an example of this with Steve Jobs, right? Like just staying on Apple for a minute um, is the, the App Store. You know, this gets a little bit technical, but... The original vision, if you go back and you look at some of the original kind of vision for how people were going to interact with things on the internet on iPhone specifically, was not an app store. It was HTML5 websites, Mm -hmm. right? Like websites that had uh, very rich multimedia capabilities, baking a little bit of touch into them, that sort of thing. iTunes proved to be so popular, Right? There's so many people using it, obviously with, with iPod success and so forth, that you know that got some of them thinking about, well, can we 
can we do something similar right. with websites? Right. Right. Like with websites, and then boom, apps are born from that. Obviously, there's more to that story, but um, that's an example of kind of customers leading. So really, one of Apple's biggest successes, right? Of course, the the, the devices are beautiful and wonderful, but without apps. Like that, that completes. Put something out there. The market responded. It was very favorable. So then they doubled down on that, right? Is that fair to say? And then it was very clear. There was no, there was nothing forced on the market. It was very much so adopted by the market. That's what the people wanted. Clearly, I mean, still, (laughs) yeah, I mean, clearly to this day. And um, I I just think we can all take a lot of inspiration from that across any business, Mm -hmm. right? I've talked about the example of Coca Cola and their those machines that you can walk up to and mix different flavors uh, or different Coca-Cola products, right? So I think Sprite and Coca-Cola yeah. and whatever they're called. Cherry and vanilla. Them, all the different flavors. Yeah. Um, one of the things that they did, I think now was two summers ago, uh, across the United States is they put little raspberry pies into those things and started tracking the mixes, the mixtures that people were making, right? That kid, six-year-old kids are walking up to a soda machine, putting orange and 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 uh, cola flavor in together in certain ratios, right? Sixty, whatever. And Coca-Cola tracked all this, and the flavors that they released at the beginning of this year were taken directly from that. Um, it's another example of just kind of listening and tuning into what your customers are doing. Obviously, injecting some technology in there to do it at scale across you know many locations, um, and it's it's one of their biggest successes. Yeah, I think that's where technology starts to get really fun. You know, could you imagine being the person diving into that data and being oh, like, man. "Look at this, man! Who would have thought? You know what? I, I would have guessed X, Y, Z, but here we are, right?" Deploying two thousand Raspberry Pis yeah. across the United States. Would, I mean, just you know, there's definitely some technical challenges there. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you get them all internet? How do you feed all that information back to somewhere centrally where you can, you know, analyze it in a scientific way? It would be super fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but this is how ideas for products are born. And, you know, the days of of some really senior people, I, you see this in, in across a lot of industries of, of just, you know, a small group of people deciding something and then working for six months to make it and then putting it out to the world and expecting some giant success. Um, I think there's less of that today because there's so many more avenues for people to just get the thing that they want. Right. right? They don't have to settle yep. for three channels. They have 3,000 that they can pick from, plus YouTube, plus all these other things. And you just see this similar dynamic playing a- a- across a lot of different industries. And so that's why Steve Jobs' words ring so true to me that the closer we can get to customers, the more that we can kind of measure their preferences and just really discover their preferences mm-hmm. is probably a better way to say it. Um, the more chance for success we're going to have. Yep. And the, the shorter we can make that cycle in a lot of types of businesses, the better.